turn in your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 14 through 21 as we continue to work our way um, verse by verse through the book of Romans. We're almost to the end. So Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14. And before I read it, let me just point out that uh, um, this is one of those situations in the New Testament where the um, chapter divisions don't really line up. And remember, the chapter divisions were not given by inspiration of God. The chapter divisions verses, those are uh, additions made by uh, biblical um, copiers, uh, scribes, probably in the 1200s or so. But anyway, um, in verse 14, it really begins a transition in uh, the, the book of Romans. So re remember that chapters 1 through 11 in the book of Romans are like all doctrine, very, very doctrinal. And then beginning with chapter 12 and then on through verse 13 in chapter 15, it was very practical. It was very uh, application-oriented. So doctrine and application. And now this is the last section uh, that begins in chapter 15 and verse 14, goes to the end of chapter 16, so the end of the book, the end of the letter. And the theme here is that it's just very personal. This is the Apostle Paul uh, talking very personally to the brothers and sisters in the Lord there in the church in Rome. So let, let's read what we'll be looking at, verses 14 through 21. Paul writes, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, uh, uh, I have fu fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Uh, Illyricum. Sorry about that. I got tongue-tied. So that's the passage. And uh, as we look at these verses and we, we hear the heart of the Apostle Paul, um, relating very personally to the believers there in Rome, something, something stood out to me 
this, this week in considering the passage, and that is that um, there, are, there are keys, key words, throughout this uh, un- unburdening of the Apostle Paul's heart that really go a long way toward describing his philosophy of ministry. The, these key words are representative words that describe Paul's ministry. So that, that's how we're going to organize our study this morning. There's six of them. We're going to move through them relatively quickly, but I, I trust you'll, you'll see what, what I mean. So in verse 14, the, the key word that describes Paul's ministry there is the word brethren. So he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers or, or brethren. And it's the uh, Greek word uh, adelphoi. It's a familiar word that simply means brother or in the plural uh, brothers. And uh, it, this reminds us that all Christians, including the apostle Paul, are brethren. And we know that the way the term is applied in the New Testament, it's, it's all-inclusive. So it means that we are all brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're related spiritually to each other. Um, and we are related to each other, not by our own blood, we realize, but through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of his death and our behalf that we have been brought into this relationship of brethren with each other. But it is by blood, the blood of Christ. And just like in any other family, even though there are leaders and followers among brothers and sisters, we are all fundamentally on the same level. And that's what Paul emphasizes here when he writes to the believers in Rome, is my brothers. He's Brother Paul. He's one of us. He's a leader. Christ called him to the office of apostle, but he's still our brother. But brethren is not just a title. So he goes on to say in verse 14, I am satisfied about you that you are full of goodness. And goodness there means um, large-hearted, virtuous. And by the way, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit that Paul wrote about in Galatians 5 and verses uh, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This kind of goodness doesn't come naturally to us. It's not the fruit of the flesh. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in us as we're joined together with, with Christ. So he says, I'm satisfied about you that you're full of goodness. And then also he says, filled with all knowledge. So see what I mean? That the word brethren is not just an empty title. There, there are family characteristics that go along with being in the family of God. Family characteristics that go along with being brethren. This goodness and being filled with all 
knowledge. This doesn't mean that we're omniscient, like we literally know all things, but it means that God has opened our eyes and he's renewed our minds. So now we see the universe, we see all of reality through the lens of scripture. We, we now have the knowledge of God. We have the knowledge of ourselves. We're created in God's, Im God's image, but we're fallen. We're sinful in great, desperate need of salvation. And as believers, we see ourselves as brethren. We see ourselves as God's children. We have the knowledge of salvation, the knowledge of the gospel, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is profound and accurate and valuable knowledge. And because of that, we have practical discernment. We have the ability to observe life through the lens of God's word and recognize the right thing to do. That's what he means when he says we're filled with all knowledge. To what end? At the end of verse 14, he says, uh, and able to instruct one another. Because we're brethren, because we've been saved and therefore we're full of goodness and filled with all knowledge, therefore we have this, this ability as believers. We are able to instruct one another. And the word instruct there uh, can be translated admonish, or exhort, and it's the uh, Greek word nuthateo. And that word nuthateo um, is the word that has been borrowed by the modern Christian counseling or biblical counseling movement. Have you heard of nuthetic counseling? Nuthetic counseling is just biblical counseling. And the idea is that because Believers are, as Paul describes us here in Romans 15 and verse 14, we are able to instruct, admonish, exhort, counsel one another. We're, we're competent as believers to counsel. You do not need a PhD in psychology or psychiatry or other ology to be able to figure out life and help somebody else figure out life. In fact, those things often hurt you because they're usually uh, given from a worldly perspective. And don't forget what the Bible says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so you can have all of the letters after your name that you want, but until you come to fear the Lord... You haven't even begun to acquire true knowledge. That's why there's all kinds of experts in our culture with all kinds of degrees and all kinds of recognition who think that a kid in grade school should be able to undergo a sex transition therapy without knowledge of their parents, all in the name of the experts. That's just one example of, of many um, that illustrate the fact that experts are often wrong because they're fallen sinners. They have darkened minds. 
They, they aren't filled with all knowledge because they're not Christians. And so don't be intimidated if you counsel somebody as a believer and, oh, the embarrassment of it, you're going to counsel from the Bible. The, the, don't be embarrassed. As a believer, you are competent to counsel. That's what the Bible says. And the, the takeaway from this key word that describes Paul's ministry, brethren, is just the high view that Paul had, continues to have in, in heaven, but the high view that Paul had of believers. And it was liberating for him because what that meant is that uh, Paul's job was not to make everybody dependent on him. Paul's job was not to waltz into a town, preach the gospel, gather disciples, make a church, and make him the head honcho, the, the potentate. No, he had a high view of the brethren. And so as brethren, as believers, we are able to do the work of the ministry. And that was key in Paul's own ministry. So, brethren. The second uh, key word here in this passage that describes Paul's ministry is the word boldness. So notice verse 15. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God, and the sentence continues. But in verse 14, he talks about how he's written to them very boldly. And if you think about it, it's true. I mean, we're so used to the, the book of Romans, we take it for granted. But imagine Paul writing this letter to a church that he had never actually personally visited. Most of the people in the church he had never actually met face to face. Some of them he did, and we're going to read some of their names in Romans chapter 16. But most of the saints there in the church he had never met, never visited the church, and he writes this really detailed letter with some parts that are very, very forward. Just some examples here. The, he wrote about the dangers of antinomianism in chapter 6. Remember that? People were um, taking grace to an extreme that the Bible didn't teach. And basically, they were uh, saying and, and living as if the way that they lived as Christians didn't matter because of grace. Because of grace, let us sin. That grace may abound. And Paul called them out for that and spent a whole chapter and. Chapter 6, correcting them. Um, in chapter 11, verses 20 and 21, he's talking to uh, non-Jews, to, to Gentiles, about their attitude about Jews, and he called them arrogant. And in uh, chapter 12 and verse 3, he uh, told them not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. He called them out basically for their, 
their pride, and we could, we could go on. He wrote very boldly. And uh, he also said there in verse 15 that he wrote these things by way of reminder. It's not that they had heard everything from the book of Romans before, and it's like a sequel or something, but basically everything in the book of Romans is consistent with the gospel itself. And so if you've heard the gospel and you've embraced the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone, to the glory of God alone, as revealed in the scriptures alone, if you get that, then whatever Paul wrote in the book of Romans would resonate with you. It's, it's this natural, logical um, extension or implication of, of the gospel. So they, they had heard the fundamentals, they had heard um, the basics, and basically what he wrote here was, was a reminder. But the fact that Paul was bold here reminds us that being a servant of Christ, being a Christian, does require boldness. You can't be too timid and serve Christ in a fallen world, a world that is against God, against Jesus, against the gospel, against the Christian life. You, you have to have a degree of boldness. And we've talked about what Paul wrote in Romans. Think about Paul's own example. It wasn't too long ago we went through the book of Acts and we saw Paul just going right into the mouth of the lion, as it were, and being willing to get arrested and to suffer and be persecuted in order to be faithful to his calling to be a preacher of the gospel. He was willing to witness for Christ before religious and civil authorities, right to their faces. And uh, even publicly rebuking none other than the apostle Peter. And you can read about that in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And in Paul's own words, I, I, I withstood them to their face publicly before them all because Peter and others with him were not walking in step with, with the gospel. Paul was a man of boldness. He, he wasn't like a bull in a china shop. He, he, he wrote about that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses uh, 25 and 26, I, th I think where he told Timothy that uh, a servant of the Lord must not be a quarreler, must not be quarrelsome, but, but gentle and, you know, able to teach. Paul was a reasonable man, but when the truth needed to be told, when confrontation needed to take place, Paul was able to do it because God had given him a degree of boldness. And we all need that reminder. So, boldness. Whoops. Boldness. The third key term is purpose. 
in verse 16. So picking up the sentence that Paul began in verse 15, this uh, grace was given to Paul by God uh, to be a minister or a servant of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Let's stop there for a minute. We can gloss right over that. But Paul's words are very important here. His prepositions are very important. Notice he says, a, a minister or servant of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. In other words, he wasn't just a servant to people. And sometimes we can forget that because we are called to serve people. But it's not serving people in a vacuum or for no reason. We serve people as a service to Christ. We serve Christ first, therefore we serve people. And the reason why that's important is that if we forget, as, as a minister like Paul would forget that his first priority in terms of commitment, in terms of loyalty, his first lo uh, loyalty is to Jesus himself. If we forget that, then rather than serving people, we're just going to be man-pleasers. We're, we're, we're just going to be like a fast food restaurant in terms of, you know, what people's spiritual desires are. What, what chain was it? I have, the part of, I have a lot of curses because of my fallenness, and one of them is that I remember jingles from television in the 1970s. So one fast food joint went, Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. Burger King. Burger King. <laughs> right. We are not called to be a spiritual Burger King. Now, in some things, um, we, we don't want anything to get in the way of the gospel. And so in that sense, in the sense of indifferent matters, uh, cultural expressions, we want to become all things to all men that we might by any means save some. And that was Paul. But when it comes to what we're all about, when it comes to the message of the gospel itself, when it comes to living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, we must not give it to them their way. People want to have their ears tickled. They want to be told that they're good people in and of themselves. They, they want to be told that they, they can live any way that they want in accordance with their feelings and desires and emotions. And sometimes we have to say, well, actually, the Word of God says this. A minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And then he goes on to mention uh, priestly service of the gospel. To be a minister of Christ Jesus 
to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So uh, Paul was a minister to the Gentiles. That didn't mean that he did not minister to Jews. He certainly did. His, his normal pattern was to, first of all, when he visited a city, to go to its synagogue. Uh-oh, I told the deacons this was going to be a short message. I will, I will end soon. Um, but his main focus was Gentiles. He wanted to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that meant breaking out of the area around Jerusalem and going throughout the Roman Empire. But um, this is what I want you to notice, though, so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. The uh, priestly service of the gospel of God. What is he talking about? That, that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. What's he talking about? Well, I think this is exactly what he meant in chapter 12 when he said in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, your reasonable service, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 15 and verse 16. His, his goal, his purpose, is to see Gentiles transformed by the power of the gospel into people who are willing to present their bodies, their whole lives, their whole sel selves as a living sacrifice. That's what his purpose was. In other words, his, his purpose of his ministry was not buns in seats. His purpose was not decisions for Christ. His purpose was not to win any kind of popularity context, uh, contest. His purpose was conversions, lives dedicated to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that needs to be our purpose. We, we, we can't round the edges off of the message of the gospel. Um, Jesus himself said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself Follow me, take up his cross. That's the nature of the Christian life. There's lots of joys, lots of joys. Joy that we've never experienced before in our unbelieving days. It's, it's an abundant life, but it still involves trials and tribulations and, and sacrifices. And it means not living our way. It means following Jesus and his way. And, and that's what a Christian is. And we need to tell people the, the truth. All right, now I'm going to fly through these last three points for the sake of time. But the fourth uh, key word is Christ. 
So in verses 17 and 18, he says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. And we uh, recoil at the idea of Paul saying, I have reason to be proud. But he, he says it's in Christ. And then he explains himself in verse 18, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So Christ is the key. Christ is not just a name. He's not just a detached concept or an impersonal doctrine. Christ is a person. He is a living, he's the living Savior. He, he lives in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He fills the universe. In him, all things hold together and consist. And he indwells our hearts by the person of the Holy Spirit. He is a person. And we depend on him completely. So being a servant of Jesus is not about how good you are, how talented you are, how successful you are. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. What he accomplishes through us. Without him, we can do nothing. He's the vine. We're the branches. He's the head. We're the body. He's the good shepherd. We're his sheep. We all need more of the attitude of John the Baptist. Remember? In John chapter 3 and verse 30, John said, I must decrease. And, and he, referring to Christ, must increase. Christ. Power. Verse 19. So he's uh, continuing on with the sentence that began in verse 18. by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Um, so a couple of things here to touch on. He's talking about power. He talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. So he also talks about the power of signs and wonders. And so what Paul is saying here, for one thing, is that when he went around the known Roman world at the time, the known world, <clears throat> one man did a lot. We, we know it's God through Paul, but through that one instrument, God did a lot. And Paul relied on the power of signs and wonders a lot to be his apostolic credential. When he went to some place where nobody knew him, it would not have gotten him very far to say, hey, let me introduce myself. I'm Paul. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm one of those foundation stones on which the resurrected, glorified Jesus is building his church. People would have looked at him and said, huh, who are you? 
And so Paul often played his apostle card in terms of his apostolic credentials of the power of signs and wonders to basically get people's attention and to validate his role as an apostle. Wow, Paul, how did you raise that guy from the dead? Wow, Paul, how are you able to speak in tongues? Wow, Paul, how are you able to do that miracle? And his response would have been, I did that by the power of Jesus because I'm an apostle. And Jesus gave me that power so that you would listen to what I have to say. And that's why we read his writings like Romans and we spend months and months and months going through this letter that this man's hand wrote because we believe that it's more than just the word of man, it's the word of God because Paul was an apostle and he showed it through the power of signs and wonders. You could check out 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 in your own, in your own time. But how was Paul able to accomplish what he did? It was by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And how are we supposed to be faithful to King Jesus in Ridgecrest in 2022? How are we supposed to endure the trials and tribulations that we face? How are we supposed to grow as believers in Jesus Christ in spiritual maturity and Christ-likeness? It's the same power, the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, number six. The key word here is gospel. Verses 20 through 21. And thus I make, I make, let's see, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. That's a citation from Isaiah 52 and verse 15. And what Paul is saying here is that uh, it was his main focus, his ambition to preach the gospel to Gentile lands, to, to spread, to maximize the spread of the gospel uh, by carrying the gospel to places where uh, Jesus had never been named. But notice that whether he's in a place where Christ has never been named or not, in both places, he's preaching the gospel. That's what's, that's what's consistent. He, he senses, probably Jesus told him this, that his main mission was to go to the Gentiles, but wherever he was, whether his main mission was to the Gentiles or not, what he did when he got there the way he was going to accomplish his mission was to preach the gospel. And so that has tremendous application for us because that means that the key to Christian ministry, no matter where it is, no matter who we are concentrating our efforts 
on, no matter what form that ministry is. It is ultimately about proclaiming the gospel. Because as Paul told us in Romans chapter 1, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. It's all about getting that message out. It's all about getting that truth, that proclamation into as many hearts and minds as we can. What happens after that is beyond our power. We cannot make Christians. But God has called us to get that message out and then to pray that God would do his work of breathing new life into a soul and calling somebody from from death to life in Jesus Christ. Well, may God help us uh, to keep these keys that were key to Paul's ministry. May God help us to keep these keys at the center of our ministry as well as believers and as a church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul and thank you for using him as an instrument to preach your word, to spread your word, and to write your word as well. And thank you that you have preserved the book of Romans through these years so that here we are over 2,000 years later, able to read through it for ourselves, preach through it, study it. Lord, would you help us to put these principles into practice in our own lives? We pray in Jesus' worthy name, amen.